This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. A few years ago, I listened to a book titled, Secrets of an Unlikely Convert. I immediately shared the title with family and friends who I thought would enjoy it and or glean wisdom from it. I began to read other articles and listen to talks given by the author. I never dreamed I would get to sit and have a conversation with her for the Grace Enough podcast. Not only did she sit down with me, but we talked for an hour and 30 minutes. Therefore, this is the first of a two-part interview with my sister in Christ and neighbor, Rosaria Butterfield. In this episode, Rosaria shares a little of her life as a lesbian professor who came to know Jesus through the hospitality of a pastor and his wife. We discuss how she and her family practice hospitality in their day-to-day lives and why it is an integral part of the gospel. Next week, we continue by diving into intersectionality, what it means, how it affects our thinking as a society and as Christ followers, and how watering down the gospel through the lens of intersectionality leaves us with an immature faith and a false hope. All of that to say, you don't want to miss next week. But let's get to today's episode with Rosaria Butterfield. Well, I tell you what, what I'll at least start, I mean, I did go ahead and push record, but I'm at least going to just welcome you to the Grace Enough podcast. I mean, Rosaria, it is a true gift for me to be able to talk to you. So thank you for being here with me today. Amber, I am so delighted to talk with you. Not only are you my neighbor, but we have mutual friends. That's so awesome. We have to mention Shannon, right? Because she'll probably listen to this. She texted me right at two o'clock and said, I'm praying for you. And I said, well, keep praying because the enemy's working because my Skype call recorder is (laughs) not. And she said, of course. Shannon's the best. And I love her so much. Yeah, her family was a real gift to us when we, my oldest first started school and we were in Tampa for several years. So it was, it was a real gift to us, but let's talk about you. Introduce yourself and tell, we'll we'll talk about everybody else, but just tell us about your family at least. Okay. Um, Well, I live in Durham. So I'm, I'm your neighbor in the, 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 the more of the hood section of, of North Carolina. Um, and my husband is the pastor of the First Reformed Presbyterian Church of Durham, and we celebrated 19 years of marriage yesterday. Congratulations. Thank you. And we have uh, four children, and we adopted uh, two of our children at the age of 17, and we did it twice. So we have a 30-year-old and a 25-year-old, and then we also have two younger children. We have a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. And I, I homeschooled before everybody homeschooled, you know? Yes, you homeschooled so, before it was the in thing to do. Yeah, before it was, you know, a, a, the, you know the, a, a requirement. 
And um, what else do you want to know about them? Well, I, I just want to know, so you adopted the first two when they were 17 or mm -hmm. you adopted, right. okay, both of them yeah. were 17. Yeah, and I did that twice and they were five years apart. So okay. we have adopted all, all four of our children um, and we would have 10 children if every adoptive placement agreement had that we signed yeah. had come through. So, um, so the Lord knows you know, what you can handle. <laughs> But God does. That's so, right. <laughs> you know, that's good. So, yeah, my 17 year old was first and he came at six months old. And then our 17, our 16 year old daughter came and then we adopted her when she was 17. And then uh, my youngest daughter came and then my son uh, came at 16. And then, and then we adopted him at 17. And I'm a grandmother. Are you really? Yes. Yes. How old are your grandkids? Well, my the grandson that I that I know and that I was able to spend time with, mm -hmm. he just he just turned four, Aww. and I had him I had him much of the summer, and that was wonderful. But my my son and daughter in law, uh, my son is in the military, and so we don't get to make those choices. But yeah, he was wonderful. I kept saying that he the things that four-year-olds say like i have a four-year-old girl on all okay it. yeah yeah so you know so so like like a therapist would get 190 an hour for this you know so he was he was crying he woke up from his nap and oh what sh what shall we do i say and i'm thinking chicken nuggets pixar film you know what i mean like you know, basically what do we do to make you feel better and he looks at me and he said well grandma i should cry and you should hold me Oh, <laughs> thought, well, you know, okay. People get 190 an hour to say that. That's good. <laughs> you know, like, that's really wise. <laughs> I have often said the honesty <laughs> of young children like that does really, it does teach us so much. Cause my four-year-old, yeah. I mean, he so is so horrible. amazing. He is so crazy, but so amazing. And the things that come out of his mouth, I'm just like, dude, you're so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that with my little ones too. I do remember with, the two that came as infants that I got to see through these years. I remember right. that, but it's nice to have, um, you know, it's, it's nice to be in this. And it's really nice to be in this place that I am in life right now. Yeah. Well, and you guys are so great because I feel like you have lots of kids who don't necessarily belong to you, but even in your neighborhood that you, oh, yes. you know, in and out who you um, are pretty much a family to a lot of times. Yeah. We have kids who keep drawers of clothes and toothbrushes and, who are on the chore chart because the gospel comes with a housekeeper and it comes with a chore chart too. And I, I love wonder, it. I do. I kind of wonder why is it that other people's kids know how to vacuum my house better than mine do? Like what? Because they're that? yours. <laughs> what does that mean? That is a problem for me, but nonetheless. Well, for people who don't know your story and don't know about your books and how you came to know Jesus, will you briefly share that with us? I sort of love it when people don't know my story and don't know my <laughs> So I'm kind of thinking about being rebellious right now. <laughs> I'm going to call you out if you don't tell the truth. No, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> All right. Well, um, the, the Lord, the Lord saved me, you know, 21 years ago. And um, at that point I was living in serially monogamous lesbian relationships. And I was a tenured professor at Syracuse University in English and women's studies and was um, the co-author of our domestic partnership policy, which was the forerunner for gay rights, for, I'm sorry, for gay marriage 
both the Obergefell decision and prior to that, all of the little state ones. And I, I had a burn, I've always had a burning desire to, to be a truth teller and to understand mm -hmm. the truth. Um, I had a stickum on my desk that said I'd rather be um, wrong on an important point than right on a trivial one. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I've lost that stick on that stick. I'm lost that stick, but <laughs> I still believe that, you know, yeah. I still believe that. And so I just really wanted to know why Christians hated people like me and why they, why they just wouldn't leave consenting adults alone. Mm -hmm. So after my tenure book was written, I started working on a book on the religious right. And in the process of that met a pastor um, who was also one of my neighbors. His name is Ken Smith. He and his wife, Floy, and I became friends. Yeah. And they entered my world. I entered their world. Uh, we did book exchanges. Their home was very interestingly similar in aesthetics, if you can kind of track with me on this as my, you know, because this is, this is New York. This is the 90s. AIDS is ravaging our world, and um, the gay community is a community quite given to hospitality. So their hosp this Christian world and their hospitality and, and my gay world and my hospitality, it, it, had some, it had enough of a familiar sense that it, it was not terrifying to walk into, into that world. And that fact that they were willing to walk into mine well, it was that that really allowed them to put, you know, the hand of this stranger called Rosaria into hand of into the hand of of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, uh, you know, for me, hospitality and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ will always go together. Now, I am absolutely confident that there that the Lord uses a million other ways. Yeah. I am. I am not saying that this is the only way. Yeah, but it was my way, mm -hmm. and I um, and therefore it will always be precious to me. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I mean, hospitality is so woven through your story because the LGBTQ community is so hospitable. Um, you have this pastor Ken and his wife who are just so hospitable, and you have gone on mm -hmm. to do that in so many ways in your neighborhood, your church. I mean, right. you're right. really community, the whole area that you're in. And so what are some of the things that were modeled for you really in both communities that you feel like shaped what you do now? That's right. That's right. Let me first begin by making a, an important distinction just because, because mm -hmm. I, I wanted to start with the fact that we had some really important aesthetic samenesses yes. and the samenesses would be this in the gay community, at least when I was in it in New York in the nineties everybody's home was open every night of the week, right? Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. Somebody's home was open every night of the week so that people knew where to go in a crisis. Okay. And, and, and in the, in the book of Acts, you mm -hmm. know, at the Butterfields, at the Smiths, um, you know, you meet people who are like that, who just say, well, you know, we're Christians, you're part of my family it's not by invitation only. Here's what we do every night. Every night we have dinner. Every night we have family devotions. And quite frankly, every night you're welcome to join us. And so, so that would be the similarity. Now, the difference, and I think this is an important difference, is that in the lesbian community, you know, we were not 
you know, this is back in the days when atheists knew they were atheists. Very refreshing, really. It makes you long for those days. Some of the things going on today make you just long for the days when atheists knew they were atheists. No such thing as a gay Christian. Nobody even tried to yes. muddle those waters. We said, keep your Bible off my body, you know, all of that. And so really what we were practicing, the Bible wouldn't necessarily call hospitality because that that has a particular christian mm. you know grounding to it what we were practicing was a kind of liberal communitarianism okay. we wanted to create a community that was bound by certain values and was willing to show up in hard places um the gospel is more than that the gospel is that but if the gospel isn't more than that then it's not the gospel that's right. Because what hospitality is, is it's welcoming a stranger to be part of your, really your neighbor connection. And then by God's grace, watching neighbors come to Christ and become part of your mm -hmm. family. So they've got a similar, you know, they're, they're in there somewhere, but there's a, there's a difference between liberal communitarianism and hospitality. Yeah. And you saw that really modeled for the first time when you went to dinner with Ken and Floyd and you all did, you did that every Friday. Is that right? Or every weekend? Oh, my word. I, you know, well, no, that would be so nice to just say it was just on Friday. Every Friday was Ron and Robin's house. Every, like oh, these wow. Christians, they, they just couldn't, they just couldn't get together enough and eat and enjoy each other's fellowship oh, and they awesome. loved each other and they welcomed me in and, and it wasn't just me. There are other people who were clearly on the edge of, of all kinds of things. And, you know, at this point too, I wasn't, I didn't believe that this was true. I, you know, here's what I believed about Christians. These guys were just, you know, folks who were bound by a certain worldview of superstition who decided that Sundays between 10 and 12, they were going to go. Yeah you know, sort of repeat affirmations to a ceiling. And, you know, like, why would you want to do that? I don't know. But I had no respect that this was real. And they knew that. And they invited me in not to debate with me, but to reveal Jesus and to show me it was real. But so, so I don't know. I think probably I had 500 meals wow. at Hen and Floyd's house and Ron and Robin's house, you know, like before I even stepped through the door of a church. It wasn't like I was an easy nut to crack. Right. Not even close. Well, in the position you were in, even, it was a lot of layers to break away from before you could ever truly freely step into the, I don't want to say into the freedom of Christ, no, but you know what I mean? Shedding some of those layers takes time. Well, because, the, because every layer had so many idols attached to it. Mm. Wow. You know, there was the idol of feminism. There was the yeah. idol of lesbianism. There was the idol of being a tenured professor at a important research university. There was the idol of, of my students and my dissertations that I had to direct. There was the idol of the books I was, there were so many idols. And you know what? You don't come mm -hmm. to Christ with your idols. I mean, well, I mean, I guess you do, you, but you don't, you do, you do, you do, but then, then they have to go, they have to be destroyed That's right. every single one of them. And I, it's a bit of a joke. I mean, I never did lose my job at Syracuse because I was tenured and you know what tenure really does. It, yes. I'm just going to tell you. I mean, I did have to go before an ethics board and explain why I was basically changing my field from 19th century British and queer theory to Christian hermeneutics. And there are some people who, 
weren't really thrilled about that, but I never lost my job. But what I did say, you know, what I do say about my conversion is I lost everything but the dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. True. And you know, but, but that was God's blessing. Hmm. But here's what I, what I had before I lost everything. I had this amazing Christian community. I had people who were, who were, who had already welcomed me into their homes and their lives. So it wasn't, it, it, it was, um, it was frightening, but it was not lonely, if that makes sense. Absolute complete sense. So what are some of the ways now that you practice this hospitality that was practiced really to you? Oh yeah. And that's, I'm not a very creative person. So I'll, I'll Kent, so my husband's name is Kent and I'll really, what, what he and I do is pretty much just, we just do what is scriptural and what was modeled for us. I mean, both. But I mean, I hate to say this, Rosaria, but that is so for, it's not oh, it because is. it's even in the church, not yeah. totally, but it's not foreign necessarily to have someone in your home for a meal, but it can be so foreign for it to be more of this open door type yeah. policy and having a meal in your home with people who don't necessarily walk the same as right. you do. Right, right. And we'll probably get to the point where we talk about things like, what about the children? So we'll yeah. talk about this. But, and that is an important question. Um, but we just think it's, it's biblical. Kent and I were the only believers in our family until our two youngest children came to Christ. And then my mother came to Christ literally on her deathbed. Wow. Um, so we know, we understand lonely. Yeah. We get it. Um, we, and, and, and we don't believe that the church is meant to limp along in a lonely way. So here's what we did before COVID. I'll tell you, so you've got to have both. Right. Different, right? But, you know, prior to, you know, prior to shelter in, it was our practice to have, um, to have an open dinner table. And what I mean by that is we would have dinner at, you know, between five thirty and six, we made it, very clear, especially to our, our single friends and our single members of our church that we wanted them to join us for dinner and then for family devotions. And then we also made that, um, made that open to our neighbors. Mm. And because it's hard to get neighbors to really believe you mean it, we would yes. designate a certain night of the week that was more like an open house, or we would designate certain events like fire pit Friday you know what I mean? And so, so we would just try to designate or the, or, you know, when there was a meth lab across the street and our neighbors were really mad at us because we were friends with the guy, that was really easy because then everybody wanted to come over and yell at us and we would just combine it with dinner and devotions. And that made sense to us. So basically, and let me we just say to anybody listening, who's not read hospitality <laughs> comes with a house key. There's a lot of reasons to read it, but to read the story of the meth lab across the street, I mean, if that doesn't draw you in, I don't know what's going to. Well, you know, and, and again, we, we are just, yeah, I, I will just leave it at that. Yeah, so I'll leave it as a mystery. Read the book. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we would just do the same thing. We would have dinner. Um, uh, at the end of dinner, the kids would clear the dinner dishes and send Bibles and Psalters down the long row along with coffee cups. And, um, and then we will have devotions. And devotions is just, you know, Kent will read a chapter of the Bible and we will discuss it. And then he will ask for prayer requests. And then anyone who wants to can pray. And, 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 you know, my unbelieving neighbors have two, usually 
two really smart questions that every covenant child would love to ask, but they always feel like, oh, we really shouldn't ask it. Let's, you know, wait for two questions. One is, um, how long will it take? Great question. My covenant children would probably tell me. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. How long will this take? And two, do I have to pray out loud? Yeah. Um, and, but what, one of the things that what we believe, and you know, we don't, this is not some kind of a show for the neighbors. This is, Kent and I have been doing that from the minute we got, you know, from, you know, 19 years ago yesterday, uh, we've been practicing family devotions, whether it's just us or whether it's yeah. us and the kids and whether it's us in the neighborhood. You know, we're not different people for, uh, we're not different in front of different people. But what we try to communicate is that we believe that Jesus is real and living and hears our prayers. And we need, uh, we need him to intervene in this, in this situation, yeah. Whatever the situation, whether the situation is the meth lab across the street or, you know, the, the bitterness in your heart and everything in between. Yeah. And so, um, so that's, that's what we used to do now with shelter in and, and all of the, you know, we've just been in this strange world. And so I'll tell you, we haven't been terrific at, at, um, uh, you know, at obeying, uh, we've tried, you know, we're trying, but you know, like, okay, okay. Let me give you an example. I mean, as soon as everything shut down right away, right? Yeah. We went from like really we were, just a normal life to nothing. We it was crazy. A field trip in Jamestown, shoulder yeah. to shoulder to you know shelter in and one of the things that happened was a number of the kids on our block school was out but their parents weren't ready for them so quite frankly it, it i do look like the little old lady who lives you know like lives in a shoe at that point because here we are supposedly practicing social distance but i had a yeah. lot of kids to take care of you know and that is because i'm not a barbarian yeah okay i'm, I'm guess what I get it. We didn't know anything about this virus. We still don't. I, you know, I was in the gay community when AIDS first presented itself. So you know what? Novel viruses don't come with user manuals. Mm, they sure I, don't. I it. It's hard. But I'm not a barbarian, and children who need shelter are going to get it. And everybody has learned how to wash their hands and disinfect bathrooms. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. But you know, then you also had the problem of college students trying to get home and not having places to stop in between. And so we also opened our home to a number of people that you might consider to be strangers. Yeah, And we did that because they were Christian college students trying to get home. And again, I understand this is a virus and it's very scary and it's very serious, but let me say it again, we're not barbarians. So what did we do? Well, we let them in, you know. So a lot of it right away looked really busy and, and then, then it got, really quiet. And so, well, and I was doing an interview with a lady who had, had just been on a, I think it was a zoom call or something with a guy who was actually quite a bit older yeah. and was in Poland during the time of the invasion. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what he had to say was a lot more along the lines of, yes, we obey authority, but there does come a point when it's, we're talking about people's lives and the well being right. of people Right. You got to choose that first. And yeah, yeah. I, 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 right. You know, and, and Martin Luther wrote a wonderful, yes. but, you know, so, you know, do you flee the plague? I, I, you know, we are privileged in this house to not have immune compromising That's disorders. Right. Same. To not have, you know, our aged parents have all passed away. You know, we're, so we are in a place where we can prioritize 
um, the the immediate well being of of, yeah. of of people and and this becomes an amazing gospel witness too because you know we, we we're living in a situation where six out of seven continents are literally hearing yeah. God roar into their lives and destroying their idols and everyone you meet is in an existential crisis that is an amazing opportunity for the gospel and if you have not been bold before because you're afraid of losing your job well guess what you are <laughs> god's taken that problem away probably you know so so we just we have been bold um we have been open we have been following you know to the degree that we are able in good conscience civil magistrates rules and we also have gotten a job delivering mm. food I know. And what, well, I want to ask about that, but at the same time, it's little things to me because I'm a very practical person and don't like to come up with anything new either, but you have this open house every night of the week before COVID. It, it wasn't necessary. It was open every night, but people didn't necessarily come every night when the meth lab whole thing was exploding. You bet people came every night because they were mad. But what did you put on your table for people to eat during that time? Because I'm always, I let myself get caught up on the, the silliest things. And I'm always like, what, what do I feed all these people that might yeah. just pop in? Yeah. Soup and bread. Every night. Pretty much. I mean, if and, and I'll I love what, that though, that's very good for me. Joke, I have like three recipes, you know, <laughs> and, and if people, if you don't like it and there are people who don't like it, I know it's shocking to think of that. There are people who just don't like soup. it. Bring your own. See, you know? it's practical things like that, that I need to just be okay with. You can do it. Yeah. If, and, and, and they love it. I mean, I cannot tell you how much my kids are so thankful for the singles in our church who just mm. say, I won't, I, we will not be eating mama's minestrone one more night this week. I'm going to Chick-fil-A for all of us, you know? Praise the <laughs> Lord though. It's Praise so freeing for me to, when yeah, I hear yeah. other people be like, I don't make it fancy. My dinner table doesn't look like an eight course meal. No, no. My dinner table looks like unfolded laundry until, you know, my single friends walk through the door and do the only responsible thing that you should do with unfolded laundry on the dinner table and that's stuff it back in the dryer. You know, you stuff it back in the dryer and now look, you can set the table. I love it. Well, and then the same thing with like connecting with your neighbors. I mean, you've been in your neighborhood for a long time now, yeah. but let's go back to initially, would you just be outside a lot and just strike up conversations? Like how did that happen? Did you start putting flyers in mailboxes? You know, like tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we um, it's easier when you're new in the neighborhood. See, it's harder mm. when you've been there for ten years and you've got to go across the street and you're like, "Hey, I'm Rosaria, and I've lived across the street from you for ten years, but I really have no idea what your name is. So, do you mind? You know, like, hey, let's start on a. It just doesn't work as well. So, yeah. when you're new in the neighborhood, um, what we did was we bought we bought a the uh, Dave Runyon's book, The Art of Neighboring. Okay. And we just followed it. We're like, hey okay, this will work. We're going to get to know our, our immediate, you know, walk around the block, get to know all these people, get to know their names, get to know the names of their dogs, get to know the names of their kids, pray for them, um, invite them to, uh, you know, put the grill at the, at, you know, by the mailbox, put it at, at the front of the, of the driveway where it's not intimidating to come in and and make it uh you know one of the things we discovered early on and i think i think i just totally pilfered this from dave runyon if not you know i probably took it from somebody else because i'm not very creative but <laughs> we discovered 
what's really important with neighborhood hospitality, neighborhood evangelism, and the two go together for us, they don't have to go together for everybody, but they go together for the Butterfields, um, it is to have it regular and open. So instead of going and saying, hey, you know, can the Cullums come over on the third Thursday at 7.30? And because, you know, you know, you're going to have food. You're planning on vacuuming that day. You know what I mean? Like there are things. Yeah, you know, I do. Be responsible. The problem, at least we discover that so many of our neighbors, their lives are truly afflicted with both abuse and addiction. Mm. Mm. And many of them simply don't know if they're going to be sober or safe the third Thursday of that month at 730. Yeah. But if you just say every Thursday at six o'clock, one of those Thursdays, they're going to be sober. And one of those Thursdays, they're going to be safe. And we have seen people that you might consider the most unlikely candidates for a Bible study walk through the door just because we've made it regular and open. Yeah. But it was great. We moved here in the springs. Everybody's outside. We started, you know, prayer walks, you know, and, you know, it just where you put a picnic table and a tire swing and a grill and we already have a gaggle of kids. And then kids are like dogs. Dogs attract dogs. Kids attract kids. So true. You know, put a soccer net up and a trampoline and and then just simply, you know, add a watermelon to it and, and start praying, you know, I mean, like, turn I on the know. sprinkler if you get desperate and you're exactly. definitely dry. <laughs> but, but be sure to know that at a certain point you need to gather people and shift it to prayer and Bible. And so if we were psalm singers, so we'll sing a psalm or outside, like, let's say we're outside, it's a prayer walk. Let's sing Psalm 23. I'll bet you know it. Here are some handouts. Here are some sheets. And then we're going to we're going to walk around the neighborhood and just pray for the well-being of our neighbors and see, and let's get to know their needs too. And when we're done, let's come back, pray again, and let's find out what people need. You know, that house with the, you know, with the broken front door, do they need somebody to repair it? Do the, mm. you know, there's an older, there's an older couple. We haven't seen their cars, you know, what's going on. Let's see how we can help, but you have to shift it. People don't catch the gospel by osmosis. They're not going to just, you know, rub so elbows, you know, and, and they're going to have it. So, so this is the other very important thing about hospitality. You have to embrace the awkward. Okay. If it's awkward, you're probably doing something right. Okay. So you say, Hey everybody, it's great to see you. You know, we're the Butterfields. We're a Christian family. We believe that God is the King of King and Lord of Lords. And we're going to, we're going to pray now. And then we're going to, this is a prayer walk. And then we're going to go and we're going to, and you know, and, then, and there are some people who are just going to look at you like you lost your mind, but who cares? You know, awkward is not bad. Awkward is a great sign that you have just now inserted something really strange and unusual and a little bit, it's going to take people a little off their game. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Mm. Let's all get off our game. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I love that perspective because I feel like that is the wall so often that we run into, right? Number one, the first excuse is busyness. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is this, I mean, how do I move forward? And I remember, I mean, I just recently listened to your conversation with Hunter Bayless or Bayless on um, Journey Women and just thinking through that whole thing where you have to be in this practice of family devotions in your own home right. to really it's it's not going to, it's already going to be unnatural to welcome someone else and do it in and do it. 
right. that's the first time you've ever done it, it's not going to happen. And right. I actually was having that conversation back and forth with my husband and thinking, wow, that's really a game changer for us mm -hmm. because we want that to be a normal part of our lives, but not just for us. Right. Right, right, right. So that we're more willing when someone's in our presence to actually do it. Yeah. And I think this is what we need to, we need to remember that our, the, some of the means of grace are very specific to Christians and to uh, an ecclesiology, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Th that happens in a very particular context with, with very right. clear boundaries and rules around them. Other means of grace are meant for a Christian to, to dearly love, embody, practice as regularly as you can, and open your arms and doors wide enough to bring people in. Mm. So if you think you're having your, your morning devotions for just you, you're not thinking right. There are people who could not find the throne of grace if it hit them in the head, okay? <laughs> and you need to bring them there yeah. in your prayers. Um, and, and your Bible reading, Bible reading is not a negligible thing. It, how, we, how we embrace the, the, the words of life and how we recall them to mind and how we embody them, that's a mystery. That's a spiritual book. You're a spiritual being. That's the connection. But here's the deal. If you're reading, if you're reading like a verse a day, that's ridiculous. Okay, you know, I know Christians who read the, the Bible the way heathens read their horoscope. Oh, man. It's absurd. It's That's a terrible reading. And then they read it in this kind of haphazard way. You couldn't read anything that way. You know, try reading Frankenstein that way. And it, it won't work. You know, it, I'm going to tell you. You read, you start from the beginning, and you read it through to the end. There's a logical story being told to you. Absolutely. So, so these are just basics, but you need to have those basics down before you can be any good to your neighbors, your kids, you know, anything. And I mean, I know you're not saying that in the sense of, well, because you don't have all the knowledge, don't do it. No. It's more of a discipline of go ahead, yes. establish that, step into it. You're going to see that you're, you're going to be blown away by what happens. Get a good study Bible. Mm -hmm. Be sure to be in a good church. You know, don't think that there's any such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Amen. If you are not a Christian submitted to um, a faithful church and a faithful pastor and elders, Satan will deceive you. Mm. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be today or tomorrow. Yeah, but or it, both. It, or both. Yeah, right, right. But to be, you know, you cannot do that. So, so yes, definitely appeal for help, but ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your eyes. Yeah. And he will. Yeah. And I always encourage people too, because this is not, I mean, hospitality is certainly not something we do well, but I will say after listening to you, reading your book, we had our first like neighborhood where my son and I, we printed out these little cards. We did put uh -huh. them in different neighbors' mailboxes, people we did know and didn't know awesome. yeah. and had them over for s'mores. And it was really delightful. Um yeah. It oh, was yeah. really delightful to just some people we knew, a lot of people couldn't come, right. um, but we being invited. Yeah. And, and great response of, oh, it's so nice. We wish we were in town. And, and I mean, I did do it fairly last minute. It was in, within like three or four days and it was great. Yeah. No. It was I, super simple. 
Right. But now we want to move forward in actually doing a devotion along with that, which was not something that came natural to us and we didn't do. So yeah. it's been very helpful to hear you say that and just to read your book on it. And so thank you for that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be. So, you know, in last fall, we were doing these things, we call them fire pit Fridays, and we would have a, a cookout at six and we would have a psalm sing at 7:30 and then we would have um a fire pit at 8 and we would and we just put it on the next door app and and then we also so we also put other stuff on the next door app hey can we borrow cuz you know what a good community relies on sharing both resources and needs mm. okay it's not like oh hey the butterfields they have everything we need no we need tables from steve's house we need um, that really great picture that Donna has, you know, like, so you put it out there, like, hey, Steve, can I have your tables? Donna, can I have your picture? You know, and, and anybody else, you know, and all kinds of people then felt like I can go because I'm really, if, if Steve's going to bring tables and Donna's going to bring a picture, I'll bet she needs marshmallows from me. She doesn't even know me, but I'm going to bring, you know. And so that kind of thing. And then you get other things like we have, you know, we had neighbors who were just moving in across the street. And, you know, and they were just moving in. So we had a big cooler of drinks and had some, te you know, these teenagers, they're larking around. If you're larking around in my world, you're working, right? So they brought the pit, you know, then, they, and, the, and this, this, this was a, you know, a, a very large Muslim family. And they said, well, we'd love to come over, but, you know, we can't eat your meat. And we said, great, bring your own. That's so, but I mean, it, it, we, I do, I do. We do, people do make it, we make it so much more complicated yeah. than it really has to be. We said, look, we're not offended. It's, 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 it's 2020. Everybody's got a food allergy. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's got a food sensitivity. Everybody, you think you're different. Everybody's doing whole 30, but me. <laughs> exactly. You, think, you know, we're a Christian family. So guess what? We, we respect and appreciate religious boundaries. So just bring it over. That's awesome. And we became such close friends. We, we, are, we continue to be close friends. And I think that was just, we don't expect you to be like us. Uh, we, we, this is not a cultural Christian program. Yeah. We believe that everyone is made in the image of God. Oh, friends, I honestly could have continued talking to Rosaria about all of the ways she ministers to her neighbors, singles in her church, strangers like me, and the list goes on. Thankfully, you can read more about it in her book, Hospitality Comes with a House Key. And come back next Tuesday for episode 77, where we continue our conversation. I promise it only gets better. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.